The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see you all today. Um, We enjoy having you here. And those of you who are here for the first time, welcome to you and encourage you to fill out a connection card. And the reason for that is one, so we can keep you informed of what's going on. And two, it... um, Man, if you fill one of those out, you'll end up on my whiteboard and I'll pray for you as long as you're trying to make a decision as to whether or not you're supposed to be at this church. And then if you make the decision to be at this church, I'll keep praying for you. But if you don't, I won't. (laughs) And I don't mean that rudely, but but, uh, like I'm just trying to take care of the sheep the Lord sends me to take care of. So anyway, I pray over you that the Lord will help you make the right decision and hope that you are supposed to be with us. And we've been talking a lot about um, hope, and I taught you in week one um, a prayer that I, I, I saw, I found in Romans chapter 15, that Paul, he shares with the Romans, the, Roman, the Christians there in Rome, and he says, uh, may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes hope is all you have when you're in a desperate situation. All you have is hope. And so he's like, hey, the Lord will um, fill you with joy and peace to give you that hope until you can come through the storm that you're weathering. Well, there's another really important um, hope principle in Romans chapter 15. And throughout this series, I've been reading it over and over. And man, the Lord just kind of led me on this journey. And we're going to call... Uh, this going into hope uh, OT, um, hope OT, so hope over time, and hope uh, really old, old Testament is what it's about. And we find it in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Okay, so now Paul is referring to the Old Testament law and the prophets. And so our Old Testament, because the New Testament, during Paul's life when he's writing this, it's actually being um, written and they were circulating letters to the church, but he's saying, man, everything that was written in the past. And we live in a time where often it's said that, you know, the Old Testament is irrelevant. It, it doesn't apply to us today. But here Paul is saying everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So there's endur- endurance and um, encouragement that is taught about in the Old Testament that brings about hope for us if we um, can spend some time learning about it. Now, this word endurance is the Greek word hypomone, and this is what it means. Like when you do the research behind that, it has several different meanings, but I I loved the one I found uh, here, and it says, the characteristic of a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even in the greatest trials and sufferings. And so Paul is saying, man, hey, like you're going to go through this stuff sometimes and your life is just going to feel unlivable. And when it does, like you can go back and read some of these things that have been written about the endurance and the encouragement that these people received and how God brought them through the storms they were facing, the things that made them feel like things were unlivable, and it will create hope for you. 
And you can hold on to that, and you can weather any storm that you're facing. So when we learn from the Old Testament, it produces endurance and encouragement, and the byproduct of those two things is hope. And so when I'm in this place of uh, hopelessness, I can go to the Old Testament, I can study things, the Lord can lead me on a journey, and it will produce hope inside of me. So today we're going to go back and look at this story um, in Exodus chapter 14. Uh, There's 31 verses there. I don't have time to read all of them, okay? If we were still at one service, we'd just go through them, okay? But I'm limited now. Sometimes I think that's why some of you come to the early service. You know, I have a hard stop that I have to make. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, you are one fine one to talk. Uh, your new nickname is Wendy. <laughs> no, no, uh, it is it is a little bit different when we have these two services. But we got a lot to cover, so I'm going to paraphrase it. And I think what would be really cool for us is a lot of times when we read this story, this is about the parting of the Red Sea. And I think that that most of the time when I've read it, you kind of want to put your, yourself in Moses' shoes. You want to be like what Moses was like. But what would it have been like to be like one of the Israelites? And you're there in the midst of that, not, not Moses who's leading through it and really kind of getting it right for the most part, but being one of the Israelites that's struggling in the midst of something that's terrifying for them. And so what happens is, is they uh, have been in slavery for 400 years or so. Uh, they've been in Egypt. They're, they're, they've grown to an incredible nation, but they've never had their own land. They're a, they're a nation of people within a nation. And so they are slaves and they provide labor for Pharaoh as he's building Egypt. And what happens is God raises up Moses and Moses through a series of miraculous events uh, is able to deliver the people. And, and Pharaoh finally, after the 10th plague, he, he says, go, take, take your people and go, leave. Um, our people are suffering. And so they do. And they travel and they set up camp next to the Red Sea in a valley and they're trapped. They're literally, it's a terrible place. It is like the worst place that a, 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 a new nation that doesn't have a trained um, army, a trained force, no warriors. They don't really have any governing structure. All they have is Moses and God, which, which is enough. But this is a terrible place for them to be. There you have the desert on one side, the Red Sea, they're trapped down in a valley. And if, if somebody comes and invades them, all they can do is try to hold their own and fight. They can't get away. They can't retreat. They can't flee. And so in this place, they are, they're camping, they're kind of hanging out. And Pharaoh begins to look around and some of his dudes, like probably Pharaoh's like, hey, I, I'd like something to eat today. And now some of his lead guys are having to figure out how to feed him and how to get work done. And they're used to having this labor force that's done it, and they're nowhere around. And they start scratching their heads, and they say, this is terrible. We've got to go back and get those Israelites and bring back our labor force, or we're going to have to be dealing with all this stuff. And so they load up the chariots, they get everything together. And basically, uh, if you read the story, man, it's like he gets his finest chariots. So Pharaoh uh, sends out SEAL Team 6 ahead of him and all the rest of them. And they're going in and they're going to take over the Israelites and they're bringing them back to Egypt because they realize this is bad um, for their lifestyles. 
And so Israel hears and sees this thunderous sound of approaching chariots. And they see them from off in a distance. And they begin to complain to Moses. And you can imagine being one of the Israelites. And they start saying, didn't we tell you? So some of them are like, didn't we tell you? Now, now keep in mind, this is after they've seen the hand of God move to, to release them. They've seen all of these plagues that God has executed on the nation of Egypt to bring them out. Not only have they seen that, they've seen the incredible blessing of God because the Egyptians were so terrified of how God moved among the Israelites and protected them and, and, and was bringing harm to the Egyptians that it says that they, they brought out their silver and their gold and they plundered the nation of, of Egypt, this superpower, um, they gave them their gold and their silver, and, and that's how, how, where all the wealth from Israel initially came, was they just gave it to them. And they had all of that blessing, but here they are, they see the chariots coming, and as the chariots are rolling in, they are terrified, and they begin to grumble, and some of them are saying like to Moses, hey, is it because there were no graves in Egypt? that you brought us out here in the desert to die? Wouldn't we have been better off just staying back there? And so they're starting to complain. Their faith has wavered. And Moses says to them, don't be afraid. Be still and watch God. And so Moses cries out to God. <laughs> now Moses has been the one who's been instrumental in God using him to like perform all of these miracles. And now he's crying out to God. And it's interesting, God rebukes Moses and says, why are you crying out to me? He says, stretch out your staff over the sea. And then all of a sudden when angels or when Moses stretched out his staff over the sea, um, this wind uh, begins to, well, first before the wind begins to blow, there is a uh, what is called the angel of the Lord, which is the, like God. Uh, it's a theophany in the Old Testament. And he is, his presence is found in the pillar of fire and a cloud. And they're out in front of Israel. And so God's presence is often represented by fire and clouds. And so whenever Moses stretches out his staff, the fire and the cloud move to the back of them. And now they're in between um, Israel and Egypt. And so now Egypt, or Israel is, has the Egypt, Egyptians and all the chariots coming on one side. The God is in the middle. Here they are, and the Red Sea is behind them. And uh, an east wind comes out of nowhere and begins to blow. And as it begins to blow, another miracle happens. It's called the Red Sea miracle, and the Red Sea begins to part. And so the Red Sea parts and the wind blows all night long. And it says that um, the Israelites are able to cross on dry ground. And so they cross on dry ground and God had told them through Moses that after today, you will not have to deal with these, these Egyptians any longer. You're not going to see them anymore. And so they cross over and all of a sudden the, the fire and the pillar, uh, the pillar of fire and the cloud moves and the Egyptians are allowed to go in and pursue, uh, the Israelites in the midst of the Red Sea and the waters begin to come back together. They cover the Egyptians and they are devastated. And all of a sudden Israel is free from worry about the Egyptians. Now we look at that and we go, okay. That's a great story. Sometimes we wonder and scratch our heads, how could a miracle like that happen? 
But we've seen some pretty incredible miracles, even in our own lives, times, things with nature does that, that leaves us scratching our heads. And this is just a time where God moved in an incredible way. And, and so as this takes place and we look at it, we go, well, Jesus is not mentioned one time in this account of the Red Sea crossing. But the fact of the matter is, um, you can cut the Old Testament anywhere you want and it will bleed Jesus. It just does. And so we go, what, do, what does this Red Sea crossing have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with salvation? What does it have to do with um, uh, hope? Let me give, I'm going to give you three lessons, try to burn through them rather quickly, and give you some things that I think if you will just, if you'll get a hold of them, they can really change your life. If you can incarnate them, make them your own, not just something you've heard me teach you about, but something that you're walking in and you believe. And, and here's the first thing, is we must break free from bondage. Every human being, regardless of who we are, we must have an experience where we break free from bondage. That's what this story is teaching us. The story, certainly we can be encouraged by what happens through Moses. Moses is used in a miraculous way. But I think to insert ourselves in a place where we are Moses, which is what we like to do, and I think it can be encouraging and powerful. We do the same thing with David and Goliath. I'm, I'm David. You know, I'm facing Goliath. No, Jesus is David. <laughs> All right? And the devil is Goliath. And Jesus is taking Goliath out. And we're the Israelites on the side of the hill that are afraid to go fight. In this scene... Jesus is Moses. We're the Israelites. Some of us are the Israelites who believe that God has done something. Some of us are the Israelites who are going, we should have stayed back in Egypt. Now it makes a little more sense. It's a little more believable for us. We go, yeah, that's probably right. That's probably where we're at. We go kind of back and forth in between those two things. And so when we look at this, the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt. And they were slaves. And what happens? God gets them out of slavery. The Lord comes, and who starts the whole process? It is God. God comes to Moses, and he starts working in Moses' life, and he puts a vision in Moses' life, and he tells Moses, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. Now, when I say, let me clear something up, lest I confuse you. When I say Jesus is Moses, I don't mean that literally. What I mean that is, like, they call it typolog typology. Okay, and so Moses serves as a type of Christ, what Christ would do when the Messiah came. And so he's a picture of what the Messiah would do. And, and so uh, as, as God deals with Moses, he brings him in and, and raises him up as a leader. And he goes in and he begins to talk to the Israelites and he leads them out through Moses. But it's God doing it because God gives Moses first the vision. God gives Moses the courage when Moses didn't want to go. And really all Moses did is he, he got himself to a place where he could believe God. And God kept working inside of him. And ultimately, Moses is an instrument that is used to lead the children of Israel out of bondage that they were facing in Egypt. And one word sums up the Bible. If you go, what is the word that sums up the Bible? Here it is, redemption. It is the redemption of man. And the word redemption in the Greek means to loose. And so someone is loosed from something. So this is a picture of humanity. Following Jesus is about getting out of bondage, whatever it may be. We're getting out of bondage. Now, there are two types of bondage. 
And the first type is actual bondage. We're actually slaves. What are we slaves to? We're slaves to sin. Just like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, we are slaves to sin. And, and, and so sin is our master. Um, and God is not our master. That's why the, uh, the Bible says that we are dead in our sins and transgressions. We decide when God initiates, because Jesus said nobody could come to the Father unless the Father draws them unto himself. And so Jesus initiates a drawing through the power of the Holy Spirit to which we can respond in the affirmative and say yes to Jesus. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you came to set me free from my sins. And when I confess that, and I, that I'm a sinner, that I've offended God, that I recognize I'm in bondage to slavery, I am loosed from my sin, okay? In that moment, I am loosed from my actual sin, and I'm free, that's the first type of bondage. Then there is instinctive bondage. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says this, <clears throat> For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Before you are loosed, sin is your master. But once you are loosed, sin is no longer supposed to be your master. But when we are instinctively in bondage, we have been set free, but we're still acting like slaves. Like the people who are saying, were there no graves in Egypt? Couldn't we have just stayed there? Like, why did you bring us out here, Moses, to die? That's instinctive bondage. They've been set free by the power of God, yet they're still wanting to act like slaves. And that's the difference between actual bondage and instinctive bondage. Even though they were free, <clears throat> they were acting like slaves. Verse uh, 12 of Exodus chapter 14 says this. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I think sometimes that's what happens to people today. It would be better for me just to serve sin than to die out here in the desert that I feel like I'm in right now. I start. We, we can easily be set free from sin's power, and all of a sudden, we're looking back on our old lifestyles, and we're wanting to go back and act like what we used to know, what we were comfortable in, what feels safe to us. And sin does feel safe, because sin instantly rewards, and faith is often delayed before we receive the reward, as we're walking it out. And so we, and that's why hope becomes crucial is we hope in God that whatever our sufferings are, he will give us the endurance and the encouragement to come through it because we hope at some point he will bring us through it. And part of our story where he gets the glory is how he brought us out. And now we're telling that to other people and it becomes a testimony and God is spreading his kingdom by expanding it in our own lives when we no longer are acting like slaves, we're acting like free people. And this is why Jesus talked so much about freedom in John chapter eight. He whom the son sets free is what? Free indeed. And so he's trying to teach us to live like free people. Pharaoh comes in and he says, serve me or die. He's saying, you need me. And some of the people will believe that. And I think Satan comes in and he tempts us with our, um, our, our, the weakness of our flesh and says, you need this. You need this or you're not going to make it. And so we give in. And so we have to be careful and aware of that. And here's what this is teaching us. It's easier to take people out of slavery than it is to take slavery out of people. 
Jesus would take people out of slavery like that. That's Jesus as Savior. But to make Jesus Lord, we quit living like slaves. And most people in the American church know Jesus as Savior and not as Lord. So they're instinctively living like slaves when they're not actually slaves. And it kind of breaks the whole thing down. And eventually, when um, that creeps out of the church and the church is producing people who know Jesus as Savior and not Jesus as Lord, the culture begins to break down. And we end up with a culture like we have today in America. It's confused, um, hates God, doesn't, doesn't, much of it doesn't believe in God, believes like totally rebelling against God. And so we look at all of these things and we go, well, what is the problem? I think a major uh, turnaround for our country would be when people who know Jesus as Savior start living like Jesus is Lord. And he, he begins to lead them on, on a continual basis through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we look at this story, we go, man, that's kind of nice, a pillar of fire out there I can look at. Now, you know, well, the Lord wants me to go here and eat lunch. The fire is this right over there, right over me ranchito. And I just pull right in there, and that's where I eat lunch, right? The fire moves here. I'm supposed to go there. And so we look at that and go, they had such an advantage. They did not. You're kidding yourself. Because the fire of God moved into the people of God in the New Testament. The, the, the flaming tongues of fire descended down upon them, and when they spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost, they were indwelt with the Spirit of God. So now I don't have to look out for a fire and where to go. I just have to listen to what God is saying, and he will lead me. He will lead me on a continual basis. Well, so why is he leading me? Why don't I hear him leading me? It is probably because you are instinctively acting like you're still in bondage. You're living like a slave when you've been set free. You're not listening to God. You haven't learned how to hear the voice of the Lord. And so you know him as Savior. You don't know him as Lord. But when you know him as Lord, man, you will start walking in freedom. And people around you will be attracted to you because there's something different about your life. Because you're not living it according to the pattern of this Lord world any longer. You have learned to take the slavery out of yourself. Now, this is basic systematic theology. Justification means we're getting, um, uh, we're free from uh, the penalty of sin. So, so we say, I am justified. It is just when I meet Jesus as Savior, it is just as if I never sinned. That's just that's the doctrine of justification. The blood of Christ has cleansed me and made me whole. And I am just as if I never sinned. That's justification. Then there is progressive sanctification. That is um, the present that we live in in the here and now. And that is getting free from sin's power. So I move from when I meet Jesus to justification, just as if I never sinned. But as I go through progressive sanctification, which is just a fancy theological way to say discipleship, I'm discipled in the ways of the Lord, then I'm learning how to get free from the power of sin. So sin is no longer, as Paul said, sin shall no longer be your master because you are uh, not under the law, but under grace. And so sin is no longer my master, and I'm going through sanctification. Then we end up with glorification, when that is when we are actually um, free from the presence of sin. We have been glorified with Christ, and sin no more is even impacting us at all. Like it's just removed. And so that's where we're headed. Now, 
Exodus models for us in this story how to break free from actual and instinctive bondage. In verses 13 and 14 of Exodus chapter 14, Moses answered the people and he said this when they were grumbling. He says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord, deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And here's the second takeaway. We break free by crossing over to grace. This is so important. Okay, I need you to stick with me because this, this will change your life if you comprehend it. Uh, the Bible teaches that the gospel continues to advance and spread when we comprehend um, uh, uh, the gospel in all its grace and truth. When, when the lights come on and we get the gospel, the kingdom moves, and it moves in us. And when it starts moving in enough of us, it moves beyond us, and things start happening, and we see a move of God taking place. And so he says um, that, that or when he, t- he tells them, you need only to be still, <clears throat> that's the grace, okay? It's not <clears throat> it's not performance, okay? It's, it's grace. Every religion, people try to work their way across. Every other religion. Not so with Jesus. With Jesus, we either are or not. We're either an orphan or we're adopted. We're either dead in sin or alive in Christ. Every other religion, you've got to work to get across this particular bridge. But when we look at this, um, we see that all the Israelites in this particular case were saved, but not all the Israelites had the same faith. So definitely, we hear about the ones that were complaining to Moses, but we know Moses was not thinking that way. We know Joshua was not thinking that way, and there were there had to have been a lot more of them. There was a lot of people, so so they they were thinking in two different ways, and um, some <laughs> were going like, "Would you look at that? Look at what God did for us," and others were like, "I'm going to die. We're going to die out here." Moses is stupid. Now there's like, look at what God is doing. Why is that cloud moving? Why is that fire moving? That is always out in front of us. Why is it behind us? Some of them were seeing the movement of God and others were just seeing the movement of the enemy and they were terrified. And some of them knew how to act as they were actually free and instinctively free from sin and some of them didn't. So you don't want to be like that, right? You want to be... Um, a person who is not thinking, I'm going to die, but you're, you're like, look, God is fighting for me. I can see God fighting for me in this situation because you are under no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what do we do? We be still. And that is not easy. One of the most difficult things to do as a follower of Jesus is be still and wait on God. Quit trying to make it happen yourself. Be still and wait on God. 
And man, this happens. When you follow Jesus, this will happen your whole life. It, it started, one of the things that, a lot of things was easy for me to be still and wait on God when I first started my journey. The one thing that was hard for me was, was uh, my dating life. Because here I was now, um, you know, I, I was single, and now the Lord's called me to preach. What attractive woman would want to marry a preacher? That's what I thought in my head. That was a, I was terrified by that. And I had to kind of come to a place where eventually <clears throat> I just had to let it go and, 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 if, and pray to the Lord. If, if he wanted me to be single, I'd be single. And that was a hard prayer for me to pray. Um, but I remember, man, I was, I was just trying to find me a girlfriend that I was attracted to that, you know, that I felt like I could... I could spend the rest of my life with, and I was, man, I would ask girls out, and then just, I got so frustrated, and I dated several different girls, some of them really pretty, and, but they were just like, they were not following the Lord, and I knew, like, I can't keep in this relationship, I'm, I, and I'm not, like, following the Lord in this, there's no way that this relationship right here is going to glorify the Lord, and so I had to end up ending the relationship, and finally, I just got fed up and said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm so frustrated. If you, <laughs> my kids, one of these days you can get my journals, not today, <laughs> but you'll get tickled by this. In a few week or a few month period, I think there was four different girls that I thought I was going to marry. That's how insane I was with this. And I'd be like, oh, well, she's not the one. I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so finally I said, I'm done. I'm just done. And all of a sudden, when I quit trying, like 17 college kids walked into a church that is smaller than our church that had no young people, and 80% of the college kids were girls, and I said, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> right? And Abby was one of them, and it happened just like that, man. He brought her to me when I learned to be still and quit looking she just came. The Lord brought her to me. And um, she's been asking the Lord why he did that ever since. No. Uh, and so she, we've had, we have a wonderful relationship, but that just kind of models how it can be hard to be still. But that's what, that's, that's what we do. We, sometimes we just need to be still and wait on God instead of trying to make everything happen. And that's when we know God has actually showed up is, 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 is that when we're just kind of being consistent with our service and doing what the Lord has showed us that we're supposed to do, we're waiting on the God, on God to move in a special way. Ultimately, he does. And, and so why does he do? So we, we have to break free by crossing over to grace. And the way we do that is, um, by, uh, not trying to, not trying to work to get to a place, but just trying to realize I'm there. I just got to trust God in these moments. And our basis for breaking free is the mediator, okay? So we look at, we break free by crossing over um, from uh, uh, death to life or crossing over to grace. And we do that because we have a mediator. In Exodus 14, 28, it says, the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. And the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, still team six, gone. Not one of them survived. Why were the Israelites allowed to cross and the Egyptians devastated? Now, that's an interesting question. 
And we think it's because the Egyptians were bad and the Israelites were good. This is how our mind works. They were no better, the Israelites, than the Egyptians. The Israelites just had a mediator. And Moses was the man in the middle. And he mediated between them and God. And so we see that Moses so identified with the people that in verse 15, he gets rebuked by God. What are you crying out to me for? But Moses so identified with God that in verse 21, God's power is in him to perform this miracle. Does that sound familiar to you? Jesus doesn't just identify with God. He is God. He uh, is the man in the middle. This is why he was crucified between two thieves. He's the man in the middle. One thief rejected him. One thief accepted him. He's the mediator. He's the man in the middle. And so as we think through this, when Egypt approached the Israelites, guess what happened? Then it says in verse 19, um, I missed the big idea here. Let me get it. Jesus is what I want to say. Jesus is better than Moses. Okay. So when we look at that, we go, that's really cool. Well, Jesus is who we know and he is better than Moses. And so whenever, um, Egypt approached the Israelites after this, all of these events take place, it says in verse 19, then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. Okay. So whenever, whenever God started to move, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army. This is really, really cool. He withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. They were separated by darkness and light. Listen to what Jesus says in John 3, 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Okay, here's the part I want you to like, wring your mind out like a sponge right now and soak this in. It'll change your life. Where were they headed? <laughs> this has been so powerful for me the last 15 years. They were headed to Sinai. For what? To receive the law. God didn't give them the law to get them out. He got them out and then gave them the law. Okay? It's not I'm obeying the Lord and now I'm saved. It's I'm saved by God's grace and now I want to obey him. And, and, and if you work that backwards, it's so messed up. The more you meditate on what God has done and who you are, the holier you will be. The more you just think about it. <laughs> The more you think about, 
like what God has done and who you are just because of what he says about adopting you and you can cross over if he extends the invitation and he's your mediator. And the more you just dwell on that thought, the holier you become. The more you meditate on being holy, the more evil you become because you will be filled with self-righteousness and pride. And that's what happened to the Pharisees. They were focusing on all the things that they were supposed to be doing instead of focusing on who God was and is and what he's done in their lives and what he was doing in their lives. And so the more you work the grace of God into your heart and realize it has nothing to do with behavior, the more radically your behavior will change. You just think about God all the time. You think about what he's done and, and you meditate on that. And you can do that. You can do it all the time. And all of a sudden, your behavior will start to change because you'll recognize that how you want to treat people is often instinctively like a slave, not like God has treated you. And you will start treating people differently. And your, your behavior will just change and you will begin to think about loving people the way that God loves you, which is the second thing Jesus said was second to the greatest commandment, which was loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, loving your neighbor like yourself. And I think what Jesus is saying is the way that you demonstrate that you do love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul is you are able to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And I'm going to tell you something, you love you. I love me. And the Lord says, love other people like you love yourself. And the only way to do that is to think about what he has done inside of you. Our works are to spill out of our faith, not our faith out of our works. It's the great overflow. And when you, when you just sit in that, man, you just sit in that and you're reminded of who you are in Christ, you start living like Jesus because you just be celebrating all the time that you used to be a slave and you're not a slave and it has nothing to do with what you did. It's everything about the man in the middle that set you free from your sin. You have a mediator. And you start looking at the people who don't have the mediator and you're like, oh, they don't have a mediator. And instead of being condemning of people who don't have a mediator, you'll start to have compassion because you know you don't deserve a mediator, but you have a mediator. And so now you want to treat the people who don't have a mediator the way the mediator treated you before you knew him. And it's not long before they meet the mediator because they've met someone else who knows them. That's evangelism 101. And when we walk that out, man, <laughs> there's freedom and there's hope in that. So whatever you're going through right now, like you feel like things are a mess and I don't know how to get out of it. You need to meditate on who you are in Christ. And quit letting your mess dictate your identity. Jesus does the best work in the midst of a mess. And he won't do his work if you won't be still and let him do it. Just be still. Think about who you are, who he is. And the more you think on that, the more it's going to radically change how you're living. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Lord that you are the mediator. Stir our hearts with that truth. Set us on fire, a holy fire that changes us, that we can go out into this community, Lord, and wherever we're going, you're going, because we're so in tune with you as our mediator that other people are really interacting 
with the mediator. Because we are in fellowship with you. And we don't know you just as Savior, Lord. We know you as Lord. And you're leading us by your fire. And the world around us is changing. And we're fired up because of the change we're seeing. Help us to walk in freedom, Jesus. You may be here this morning as you continue in a, a spirit of prayer watching online. And uh, like, man, you, if the Lord has got a hold of your heart and something spoke to you in the message, nail that down with him. Nail a commitment down. Maybe it's you need to cross over to grace. You've not been living in grace. You've been living in, in this place of the performance and law. And you're like trying to get to God. And you just need to get, you need to realize the only way you can get to God is through Jesus. And you just need to let go and claim Jesus as Lord and yourself as a sinner and ask him to forgive you and cross over into grace. Maybe it's you have done that, but you're instinctively living like a slave and you need to, need to ask the Lord to forgive you for living like a slave. And you're going you're gonna to be like, hey, Lord, I'm going to walk. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be still. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what you asked me to do when you asked me to do it. Whatever the commitment is, man, make a decision for the Lord today and you won't regret it. I'm gonna um, turn the service over to Sean now, but just want you to understand that, hey, if you do make a decision or you wanna talk more about any of it, that's what I'm here for. That's what the rest of the team is here for. We'll help you with that. So don't, don't hold that into yourself. It, you need to celebrate what the Lord is doing inside of your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.